Welcome. We are back for another episode, episode number 46 of the Progress Pure podcast. Before we get into it, I just want to quickly apologize for the quality of this intro. A new, better quality introduction will be coming tomorrow. But for today, if you're listening to this on Sunday, the 25th of April to the morning of Monday, the 26th of April, the intro is going to sound not so amazing. This episode is with Sean Galanos, aka The Love Drive. Sean is a love coach and speaker teaching communication and intimacy skills for better and more loving relationships. In this episode, Sean gives some helpful communication and intimacy tools to help people talk about love and sex. We also discuss casual sex, how sex can be very healing, breakups, and the journey to finding partners who can hold you in an intimate space. You can follow Sean at The Love Drive, that's on Insta, or check out his website, which is at seangalanos.com. I hit record there. Okay, sweet. So now, Sean, we are recording. Thank you so much for coming on to the Progress Pure podcast. I'm so honored to be here. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. I came across your podcast actually through Instagram um, and I've been listening to it and particularly have been loving your pep talks. Um, Just found them like really resonating and just like extremely true and honest. And your story of like bits that I have picked up from your episodes of how you started in sales and then how you decided to kind of really take a plunge and like take a risk and make your career kind of focus on the thing that you love doing, talking about love, intimacy, dating, really quite inspirational. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. I mean, I don't think I planned it at the time. It was just the best thing I had going for me. And I was really like at a fork in the road and I decided to just kind of go all in and see, see what would happen. And, and luckily for me with enough like perseverance Mm -hmm. and commitment and really just like showing up and doing the work over a long period of time, it has been fruitful, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful to be able to do this work. So do you mind just giving like a bit of an intro into who you are, what you do, et cetera? Sure. My name is Sean Galanos. I'm a love coach and I teach people communication and intimacy skills for better relationships and more love. That's just the short soundbite. Mm-hmm. And how did you, was it scary going from, okay, if you had like a stable career in sales and then diving into something which is typically kind of unstable, especially if you're doing it on your own, was that like a scary transition? And at what point did you think, okay, I did the right thing. I, I made the right career leap kind of thing. So yeah, there's always a little bit of anxiety, especially when you're sort of like taking the plunge. Uh, I was lucky enough where I was, funnily enough, driving a taxi. Uh, So I quit sales, traveled a bunch, came back to San Francisco because I'd run out of money, started driving a taxi. And that's where the idea of the love drive, which is the name of my podcast, started, was that I was driving around San Francisco and I would record my conversations with my passengers. And so I would have uh, microphones, cameras, and lights in the taxi and I would have them sign a release and then I would ask them questions about sort of, uh, at the time was more sex than anything, which I think is what we're going to be talking a lot about today, which I'm super excited about. Yeah. And so that's kind of how the whole thing started back in 2014, right? So we are now talking in 2021 and my business is now profitable or has been profitable in the last couple years. Yeah. So we're talking, you know, seven years of slowly building this thing up. And I'm grateful and I'm also privileged because I I was able to drive a taxi while I kind of built this thing. And then also I was able to rent portions of my house out on Airbnb. So I had some sort of income coming in. Mm -hmm. I think it's really challenging and I want to like sort of celebrate anybody who has a full-time job Mm -hmm. and is starting a side business to eventually transition to a full-time business because that is a lot of work. Or if you're a full-time parent Mm -hmm. and you're, you're building um, a side business, that's just going to be a lot harder than someone like me. Like I had a lot of free time. So I'm just going to be honest by saying that, yeah, it was scary. Yes. The transition took a long time, but I was also sort of fortunate in the way that I was able to build this this business without having too much financial pressure. Yeah. Yeah. I always have, um, like you said, mad respect for people who 
they have a full, I, I feel like most, maybe not most, but a lot of creatives that I know or kind of entrepreneurs that I know start off by going, acknowledging, cool, that's like my passion and my thing that I want to do full time, but I have to kind of focus on something else in order to sustain that hobby and that passion. And then maybe one day that could be my life. And I guess there does come a level of like a certain sacrifice of social life or whatever that may be in order to try and make a, a life and become profitable like you and doing what you love. Yeah. And also I want to, I want to highlight the fact that it, it it's taken so long because I didn't really like grind it out. You know, if I had sacrificed big part portions of my life, like my social life or connection with family or relationships, yeah. I might've been able to like make it happen a little bit quicker. And also I, I don't really think that hustling is sustainable nor healthy. Right. I think we, we need rest. Mm -hmm. We need recovery. We need playtime. Mm -hmm. We need a uh, connection. We need things that are, that are not work so that like we have balance in our life. And I always take a really long view or the long approach to success in any facet or, or like area of my life. I just, mm -hmm. I have a faith and knowing that it'll eventually work out. It's, it's not on my timeline. It's probably going to take a lot longer than I want it to or think it should happen. And so to answer the second part of your question, when did I know that like, uh, I, I had, I had built something that could sustain me. And I think that's just after going to, um, getting like a coaching certificate at Concordia university in Montreal and starting to coach people full time. And, you know, over the course of six months, building like a semi the three quarter full practice. And at that point, just the numbers made sense. Right. And was it a, like, what was the thing that made you have an interest in, I guess, like how you said, you kind of started with more intimate sex topics. What made you, or like, what was the thing that real, that you made you realize like, oh, this is something that I love talking about. I've always loved talking about it. I've always been like the, the confidant, you know, the person that you go to with your, excuse me, sex, love, intimacy, relationship questions, even though, you know, funnily enough, my own relationship life wasn't that good, okay. right? Like, I think I really struggled uh, with getting it right. I think I really struggled with being honest. Uh, I didn't have the tools, but somehow I felt, you know, uh, qualified to give my perspective on how people were doing it and how people could do it better. Mm -hmm. And I think over time I, I applied a lot of that, a lot of those suggestions. And then also over time did a lot of therapy and a lot of self-work to get to the point where like, I am, am definitely practicing what I preach. Mm -hmm. Um, I just always had the passion, right? right? So like some people just kind of born with like really good at math or really good at sports. And like, I wasn't, really good at sports. I certainly wasn't really good at math, but I was what you might call like a complete communicator. I, I mean, I went to school for communication theory and practice um, in inter interpersonal and communication theory at the University of California, Santa Barbara. And communication is the best tool that we have to build fulfilling relationships and to get what we want. Right. So I was able to sort of marry my passion for love and relationships and just talking about that, that topic and then bringing clarity and tools through communication. So I married those two together to uh, do what I do today. And so if you were saying that perhaps in the beginning or like earlier on, maybe you didn't necessarily have that level of communication that you, or, or that level of kind of understanding of um, advice that maybe you were able to give other people. Do you think that being at University of Santa Barbara and, and studying that course, there was a point where the, the um, sessions or the lessons or whatever that you were studying, that they came a certain point that you were like, oh, I need to change my behavior and I need to improve. Like, was that kind of um, a switch and you started applying that to your personal relationships, if that makes sense. No, I mean, the, the, <laughs> the switch came years after I graduated university. Like I'm 38 years, I'm 38 years old. Now I graduated university and I was like 21 or 22. Uh, it didn't take until my like late to early, late twenties to early thirties. And of course it's like a gradual, you know, it's like a DJ doing a, a fade from one song to the other. And it was just a really long transition. Yeah 
where maybe at any point in time, I couldn't really realize that it was happening. But if you look over, over the long period, you could see, oh yeah, there was clearly a point where I was like bettering myself and in doing so was having healthier relationships. Right. But no, I mean, I think I got it wrong for, for a good portion of my twenties before I started getting it right. Yeah. And do you think that talking to, I guess, communicating with people, whether that's, you know, in your taxi, like how you were talking about or on the podcast or in different forums that you have, do you think that's been um, really effective in terms of learning how intimacy works and how relationships work and that perhaps through stories is the most powerful way that we can understand that? And, And did you learn a lot from listening to people? I, I rarely, <laughs> okay, I re- this is going to sound, I don't know, conceited or something. Yeah. I don't really learn from other people's experiences. Okay. I learn from my own experiences. Yeah. Um, I had a astrological chart reading recently and, and the dude said, oh yeah, you, you, you know, based on your chart or whatever, you're the kind of person that really has to like go through it on your own before you can learn the lesson. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that I don't like, you know, take online courses or read a lot of books. Mm -hmm. Um, Most of the information that I take in, I take in from books Mm -hmm. and I take in from my own personal experiences. Mm -hmm. So when I teach something or I talk about something, there is a really, really good chance that I have lived it. And, you know, wisdom is not taught, it's experienced, Mm -hmm. right? And so like your parents could want the really, you know, the very best for you. And they could try to impart as much wisdom to prevent you from the pain of growing up and making mistakes. But we we have to make those mistakes. Mm -hmm. And it and that includes in relationships, you know, we really have to make those mistakes. And as a side note, I don't I don't believe in mistakes. I I think that we have experiences Mm -hmm. with people and that we learn and grow and heal through those experiences, which is why they're not mistakes, mm-hmm. because something beautiful, there's a benefit that comes from them. Yeah. And so I really have to experience them myself before I can sort of learn something from it. And then from that position, sort of teach it or impart it or give it as a suggestion. Mm-hmm. I really like what you just said there about it's nothing that we do is potentially a mistake. Like I was listening to one of your pep talks uh, in um, your podcast and you were talking about how with rejection on the surface that can seem you know, bad, terrible. There are so many reasons why rejection is so painful for people, but the way you kind of look at it is like, oh, it's actually an opportunity. Like maybe that person didn't see you as a match, in which case maybe you won and there's probably something better out there, which is a really nice, like positive way to look at it. I, I mean, it's also sort of the way, the way you describe it and the way sort of I describe it is sounds a little like fantastical, like, oh, there's probably something better out there. Like we all, we all know that as advice. And sometimes right on the the backside of a rejection it, it stings so much that it's hard to actually really believe that yeah. but the reality is that they have removed themselves from your life right so they have created space mm-hmm. they have created space for something else that you and i hope we all hope is a better fit mm-hmm. and it's so i mean i just want to just validate that it's so hard to lose a job have someone break up with you, have someone say no to a date, any form of rejection is going to hurt and it's going to feel really personal. Yeah. And I still think that rejection isn't personal, right? It's not, even if someone says, I don't ever want to see you again, you, it's, it's up to you to choose whether you, you choose to, to make it personal right. or whether you just see it as, okay, they have a preference and that preference isn't me. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's actually personal to the person rejecting you, not necessarily to you. Mm-hmm. And it's a choice, right? You can, you can take it personally, or you can just say, okay, I guess, I guess I'm not for that person. And there must be something that's more aligned, mm-hmm. right? There's something that's a better fit. And in short, something that's like, you know, there's, there's something better out there for mm-hmm. you. And even if, even if it is personal, like, even if it is about you, like you said, if they're deciding that you're not the right person for them because of personal things with you, or whatever, it does speak more about them and what they're looking for. Like it can be personal. Do you know what I mean? It does, and it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It could be personal. It doesn't have to be a bad thing, but what you eventually have to get to is you have to get to a point of acceptance. 
acceptance that this thing is over. Whatever yeah. thing is, it's over. The relationship, the 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 date, the the job. Like, uh, what wh what are some other examples of people of things that people get rejected from? Do you have any um, like, schools, uni? Right, right, yeah. You so all those it. things, like it couldn't feel personal. Can you accept it? Yeah. Can you accept it and just like accept it as being just the way it is? Yeah. Even if it's really kind of crummy and it doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. And also, can you have some faith that there's something out there that's a better fit? Yeah. As hard as it is to believe. hundred percent. That's why I feel like with dating and with love and with all this stuff, and we're going to get onto the real topic of this podcast, which is why I wanted to talk to you about sex, intimacy, communication around that. But I do feel like, um, you know, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, but I feel like if you're going to get into the whole dating scenario, you kind of have to, and maybe this doesn't apply to everybody, but if you can enter that world when you're at a place where you are accepting of yourself, and I know that's kind of like an overused, maybe a bit of a social media term now, like you've just accept yourself, blah, blah, blah. But really, if you're okay with yourself, that when some that does happen, and if you do get rejected, that you can kind of down tools and be like, okay, I can move on and everything will be okay. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Uh, I think self-love, I still, uh, self-esteem, self-confidence, acceptance of self will ebb and flow, yeah. right? So you, you don't just acquire self-love and then you never, you, you always have it. In my opinion, it, it ebbs and flows and that's going to really affect how you are affected or impacted by other people's decisions to date you or not, right? right? And I just want to say that dating is hard. It's really, really, really hard. And you kind of have to have a tough skin, which is, it's unfortunate. Uh, the landscape is such that people are, are used to using others or disposing of them or seeing people as disposable because of this seemingly never-ending supply of people you can be swiping on. Mm -hmm. And so we sort of like commodified dating and it's unfortunate, it's sad. Uh, it, it is probably gonna, probably gonna mean that there's gonna be a lot of broken hearts out there and it's the reality, right? So here we are again, accepting the fact that, uh, dating is hard, especially during a global pandemic, especially with how people are acting on dating apps. It's going to take a tough, a, a tough skin mm -hmm. and how you feel about yourself is going to impact how, how you allow other people to sort of treat you. Yeah, And so that might mean sometimes taking a break or a step back from dating when you're not really feeling super confident or when you're not really fully accepting yourself mm -hmm. or when you're dealing with some challenge or, or bouts of low self-esteem. Mm -hmm. It's okay to say like, I'm just going to take a break from dating for a little bit. And has, has anyone ever come to you and you, you felt like oh, I should, the best advice right now would actually be, you need to take a step back and kind of work on yourself. All the time. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But not necessarily the work on yourself part. Yeah. Uh, sometimes that's part of the equation, but other times, you know, I've had clients that really want a relationship and I get it. Like if you're not in a relationship and relationships are important to you, which they are for, for a majority of the population, it's understandable if you haven't had a lot of success in, in having or, or acquiring someone to be in a relationship with that you're going to really, really want it. And you're going to, you're going to want to do everything you can mm -hmm. to make that happen. And you might even start to think that there are some, some big fundamental issues that you have that you need to work on in order to get a relate to get a relationship. And sometimes you just need a break. Sometimes you just need a break. If, mm -hmm. if you find yourself and I'm, I'm talking to your listeners, if you find yourself feeling jaded about dating, if you find yourself not having fun, if you find yourself swiping on people and not sending them messages just for an ego boost, if you find yourself thinking that all men or all women or all people are trash, you might want to take a break. And yeah, some of that might include some self-work, but I, I don't want to say that like, if you haven't been successful recently in finding a relationship, you need a lot of self-work. That's not the message that I want people to walk away from mm -hmm. or walk away with because yeah, we all need work. Mm -hmm. We're going to need work for the rest of our lives.
it's never going to end. Mm -hmm. And some of you might need some, there's a fundamental piece that might be blocking you from getting a relationship. And I have no idea what that is. The only person that can maybe even really be, okay. So the only person that can help you with that, I think, in my opinion, is a trained mental health professional or a therapist, a counselor, psychologist, psychiatrist. Over a long period of time, you can sort of identify what, what that issue is. And, and some of you don't have that aren't going to have that issue that needs to be worked out. You might just need a break. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really good advice. Thank you. I think it's a good reminder. Um, so going into, to, I wanted to talk about, it was a large part of when I was reading your kind of manifesto and your website and everything, you talk about how sex is a part of love and an important part. And so I wanted to ask you first and foremost, do you think sex is important to every kind of relationship? every kind of loving relationship. <laughs> Let's just, let me just highlight that. <laughs> not, not your professional ones for sure. Definitely no, not family. Not family. Avoid that. <laughs> um, grocery store, not appropriate. Yeah. Big no, no. So, you know, I think that that answer really depends for me. Absolutely. Okay. For me, 100%, I'm not interested in being in a loving romantic relationship that doesn't have sex as a, as a, a pretty healthy component, right? Like we'll take up like a, a good portion of the amount of time that we spend together. Right. And I don't mean time, I actually mean sort of like depth and impact. Mm -hmm. Because to me, sex is a really beautiful opportunity to connect, right? So connecting sexually and intimately through sex um, is one of the most beautiful things and also one of the scariest things that I've ever experienced, mm -hmm. right? Just really being able to open yourself up to another person, let yourself be seen, right? Warts and all. And mm -hmm. strangely enough, that's kind of a weird <laughs> STIs and all, and yeah. also just like flaws and vulnerabilities and, and our core wounds, yeah. right? Can you, sh can you expose yourself to someone who's able to hold that, of course, right? It has to be someone who can safely hold that and who you can explore with. Sexual intimacy really can lead to some profound healing, mm -hmm. profound healing uh, in relationship with someone who's able to meet you there with love and care and compassion and tenderness and, and who is doing the best they can at, at meeting you in that space. So for me, it's important. For a lot of people, it's really important. And at the same time, there are relationships, there are loving romantic relationships where sex either was never a big focus or loses or becomes not as large of a focus. And that's perfectly fine, mm -hmm. right? So the only two people that can say whether it's fine or not is, is the two people in the relationship, mm -hmm. right? And at the same time, you also have people, and I don't have a lot of experience with this, but that are, that are asexual or that have a very low libido. And for them, it's not important, mm -hmm. right? So the only two people that can chime in on that is the people in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So then what would you say about if sex is something that, you know, can be incredibly beautiful, it can be really healing and something like you said, someone sees you warts and all, what do you say then about casual sex? Yay, like ca ca <laughs> casual sex is in you, maybe you just met them. Maybe it's the second time you met them or whatever, whatever that you're not in a relationship kind of thing. Um, do you think that, that can take away from the, from the like specialness of sex. So you were talking to someone who has had a, an insane amount of promiscuous sex in their life. Okay. <laughs> and I, my, my position on casual sex is that I think it's fantastic if it's right for you. Right. There's a lot of great reasons to have sex mm -hmm. because you feel like it, because you want to relax, because you want a distraction, because you want to orgasm, because you want intimate connection with somebody else, because uh, you want to experiment or experience something you've never experienced before. Right. Like different types of kinks. Mm -hmm. um, and that's just to name a few. And all of these are perfectly valid reasons to have sex. Mm -hmm. And I think it's possible to have casual sex that is not intimate at all. Right. Mm -hmm. It just scratches an itch. That's fine. Mm -hmm. I think it's possible to have casual sex that's really, really intimate with deep eye gazing mm -hmm. and soulful, circular uh, breathing and some, yeah, you've got some uh, Enya on the 
stereo and there's incense and you've you've smudged the place and you don't know them at all but you're willing to enter that space together amazing yeah you might have sexual encounters where it's literally like hey i want to try this new kink yeah i'm going to find someone who that's their thing on fet life or whatever like some there must be some dating apps for for kinky folks yeah um and and that's fine too that's totally fine so i don't think that casual sex actually I don't think it diminishes the impact that it can have mm. in a, a more like quote unquote sacred union. And I'm using <laughs> that tone of voice because I think it's like a little new, new agey, a little woo woo. But then I also really respect that space that some people are able to create together. Yeah. And all that to say that casual sex is fine if it's fine for you, right? This it's all coming back to like, if it's fine for the people involved, I don't have a problem with it. Right. Like, I'm happy to support you in whatever it is that you want, as long as it's reasonably healthy. Yeah. Right. Sometimes we're going to, we're going to want casual sex because we don't feel so great about ourselves and it's going to bring a, a little external validation. Mm -hmm. And that may or may not be like the healthiest behavior. Mm -hmm. Like maybe it's more healthy to like sit with yourself and meditate and journal yeah. and like Do take a touch, cold shower. <laughs> yeah. Take a cold shower. Like talk to your inner child. Like maybe that's the like healthier option, but then also like maybe just like fucking someone that you meet on Tinder is like fun and yeah. does the job. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. Which is so funny to think because it's, I can see if somebody would say that's such a destructive kind of like, maybe self-harm sounds like way too intense, but like kind of a destructive thing to do. But then again, it can just be fun. Like it can be fun. And I feel like with sex, you can really, I mean, sometimes you can't, but like you can really be in the moment. And there is that fun thing of just engaging with another human being and just like having their attention, which I don't know if necessarily that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it can just be very um, grounding. I think, I think you just hit on something super, super important for me, uh, sex is, um, is like an act of meditation, right? Right. Because I'm, I, I want to be fully present and you, and you named it. It's not always easy to be fully present. Some people are not fully present, but sex can really be meditation, right? Mm -hmm. Partnered, partnered meditation. Mm -hmm. And also I want to say that anything we do can be destructive. Right. Like if, if you take so many showers that you can literally not work or eat or take care of your dependents, you've got a problem with showers, okay. right? The same can be said of sex. Yeah. If you are compulsively masturbating to the point where you can't get to work, mm -hmm. or if you are always looking for hookups and having risky sex that, um, places your, your health and the health of other people at risk, you might have a problem with sex. Mm -hmm. We can do that with, with any substance, not just drugs and alcohol, not just sex. Mm -hmm. And what would you say to people, let's say, okay, they are in a relationship and sex is important to them. They're not asexual, but they, because I think with sex, a lot of the time communication can be difficult and tricky, especially if you're towards the beginning part of a relationship. Is there certain ways that you recommend people to talk about sex or to, I guess, talk to them without hurting their feelings. Like if someone, if you're with someone, you feel like it's not good. You feel like they're doing something that you don't like. How, how do people go about that without making it awkward or is it always going to be awkward? So I, so I, what is what, like one of, <laughs> one of the, the, one of the like rules of cooking, I think I heard this before is like salt early and often. Okay. Right. But now that I think about it, it's like that, that sounds like you're oversalting your food and it doesn't sound like a good thing. So maybe that's not actually a rule of cooking, but that's how I want to look at talking about sex. If you can start talking about sex early and often, okay. right. Make talking about sex part of your relationship so that it, it, it doesn't become awkward. It doesn't become the elephant in the room. If you're in a new relationship, that's a great place to start planting seeds for how you eventually want this relationship to look like. Mm -hmm. And if that includes talking about sex a lot, then start doing it early and often. And that might look like, Hey, uh, I really wish in my past relationships that like we were able to talk about sex like, like more easily. And, and that's never really been something I've been able to do. And, and I would like to try that with you. Mm -hmm. Are you open to talking about sex with me? Mm -hmm. And that might look like what you like, what I like, what we might want to try together. Mm -hmm. Um, how our last sex was, mm -hmm. what you liked about it, what you didn't like about it, how you, what would you would like more? Mm -hmm. Right. So 
can you get to a place where you're you're committing to talking about sex on a regular semi-regular basis that's one thing right if you're in a new relationship in more established relationships the longer you go without doing something the harder it's going to be to start doing it it's like when you go to the gym you stop going to the gym it's so hard so hard to yeah, get back impossible. into the gym. Yeah. It's almost it's almost impossible. But then eventually we do it and we do it and then we're like, oh my God, why didn't I do this earlier? Yeah. So sex is sort of like that. And it's it would sort of sound like, hey babe, we started talking about sex at some point in a relationship or we never really talked about it. And it's something that I really want to do because I love connecting with you sexually. Right. It is it is one of the things that I love the most. And I would love to figure out ways that we can connect even more. Great. That's a great I, I, I turn of phrase. The the because I love connecting with you sexually is a great way to put it. I love feeling close to you, and sex is one one of the ways in which I feel really really close to you, and I'd love to feel even closer. Right. So that's how we can remove a little bit of the defensiveness. Mm -hmm. uh, instead of saying like, "Hey, I need us to talk about sex," yeah. or "I need you to slow down," right? Like, tell if you tell me you okay. Well, if you tell me that you need me to slow down, I'll be like, sure. Like, what speed? Like yeah. one, two. If that was a ten, <laughs> where do you want me? But some people, some people are gonna get like, or because I love directions. Like, give yeah, for sure, give me direction. Yeah, like, I'll, yeah. I'll do whatever you want, almost whatever you want me to do. But some people might get really defensive because mm -hmm. you know, hey, well, you know, no one's ever complained about me before, or whatever right. sort of uh, trope you know they might throw out. So instead of saying, I need you to slow down, it's like, hey, I would love it if mm. you could slow down, right? Mm -hmm. so, so switch your I need to, to I would, I would love it if, or I would love for us to explore sexual massage together. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, you wait, this is a thing that you would love? Right, um, right. You think I would like to do that? Like, I, I, I want to make you happy, right? So I think one of the tenets that I, that I operate under is that your loved ones want to meet your needs. Yeah. For the most part, they want to meet your needs if they know what your needs are. And to, to sort of answer the, is it always going to be awkward? No. Is it most likely going to be awkward? Yes, absolutely. Have you ever tried to play tennis without ever having picked up a racket before? <laughs> yeah. like, good luck getting it into your partner's box. There's yeah. a sex thing there somewhere. <laughs> Good luck. Good luck getting it into your partner's box in a way that, that is like easy and easeful and looks graceful. Mm. Right. But over time, over time, you learn the rules. You figure out how the racket works. There's like physics involved and, you know, the bounciness of the ball and, and the yeah. partner, right? Like the partner also, like, how are they showing up to the game? The more you do anything, the better you're going to get at it. And that yeah. includes talking about sex for sure. 100%. And do you think, as you just said, you know, you're not going to look graceful dragging the tennis roll. I'm just imagining my head dragging tennis racket across the thing and not having a fucking clue what to do with it. I think that early on in relationships, if you, and I'm just really interested to know what you think about this because sex is so funny because it's, See, well, not literally, but like it, you have this image in your head, whether that's from movies or porn or people at school, like trying to talk about it in this cool way that sex is supposed to be like sexy and like performance in a way. And I know as you get older and you experience really embarrassing things or whatever, and you're like, God, it wasn't like that at all. Like I queefed in the middle of that or whatever it is. Do you think that it's best, it, even though you can meet people where let's say you just fuck them and that was it and you just needed that and that's good for you. Do you think there's something to say for if you meet someone you like them holding out from sex a bit more so that you feel more comfortable with them so that when you do something it's not graceful you're really vulnerable in front of them you don't feel like what the fuck did i do or what are your thoughts on that do you think there's any point in in waiting so i had this is so weird i had this like uh professor in college and he was like a creative writing professor and at some point i don't remember shit about the class. Like I was a terrible student, by the way, I graduated with like an abysmal GPA, I barely, I barely graduated, squeak by. And so if anybody's listening and you're not a good student, don't worry. Life is long. You will eventually find something that you're great at. And, and I, I hope that you find it eventually. Um, he said, the longer you keep your clothes on, the higher you raise the ceiling and then never explained it. What? Never explained it. And it was like it wasn't even a class about sex. <laughs> but but I've been I've been I've been like sitting with this analogy or metaphor or whatever for so long and I've tested it out. 
right? And sometimes keeping your clothes on really will increase the sexual tension, right? And I think that's what he was, he was talking about. He's like raising the ceiling of what's possible, right? right? The, the excitement or the intimacy that's possible. Right. And it's like, I don't know, like you're getting a Snickers and you, you like barely unwrap it and you shove the whole thing in your mouth. Yeah. Okay, it's going to taste like a Snickers. There might be a bit of a wrapper in there. I, I don't know that it's going to be ultimately that satisfying yeah. than if you take your time with it, right? You buy it, you look at it, you put it on the... <laughs> this is like, I'm taking all these analogies today. You, you look at it, you appreciate it. You, you slowly open a corner so that you can start getting a little bit of the smell of the yeah. chocolate. And Snickers, like, I don't know. I, I don't think it smells that great. It's really low quality chocolate, but... <laughs> yeah. You start getting a little bit of the smell, and then you open it and you start like sort of undressing the, the, the Snickers God, bar. I don't know if I'm turned on about chocolate or from the description. <laughs> I'm, I don't know. I'm, I'm heating up over here, but the, you, you start noticing the ripples, right, on the chocolate on the top of the bar. And then if you flip it around, you, there's like a grid, you know, from where it's like sitting on the thing. And you can sort of, you know, really appreciate it more. Yeah. And you haven't even. You haven't even bit into it. You haven't yeah. even licked it. You, you haven't even like explored all the little layers. Mm -hmm. So I'm not saying that you can't devour your Snickers as soon as you buy it. Yeah. But I'm saying that there is some value in it. And what you said is like, is really beautiful. You can build trust with someone, right? The more time you spend with someone, the, the more trust you're going to build eventually mm -hmm. because you show them parts of you and they respond in, in a way that makes you feel safe. Mm -hmm. And so you build some trust and with trust means that you can sort of, um, you can open up a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Right. And what's interesting about this is this is the sort of the sexy part of it all is as you open up more, you're risking more. Right. Right. And, and it's, this is a huge paradox and it's, it's actually really beautiful. You're risking more, but in a safe container. Yeah. And risk is exciting, right? That's why some people really like having casual uh, encounters with people they don't know because it's risky, right? And then we talk about anal sex and we talk about taboo. Taboo is risky, mm -hmm. right? Sex in public is exciting because it's risky. Yeah. And so you can, you can experience that risk, but in a safe container. Mm. And in my experience, like, you know, as I get older, mm. that kind of sex, the risky, intimate sex where you open yourself up to a partner mm -hmm. or to somebody that it's safe to open up to and explore really intimate, deep parts of myself is more exciting than, uh, you know, deep throating a Snickers. <laughs> you could get a Snickers after this. <laughs> Do you think as well that you, that there's the risk? Cause obviously there's the if I've understood you correctly, it's that you have the sexual risk that you can, well, you have this uh, intimacy with someone and you can explore sexually with them, but do you think it's also riskier um, in, in kind of a, a nice way? Because if you don't necessarily have sex straight away and you kind of take your time and appreciate and get to know the Snickers really well, give it a smell, all of those good things, that when you do, have sex or when the relationship does progress you kind of have more on the line if it doesn't work out in a way that makes you more invested because you've like spent more time like you've really got to know them yeah sure but i are we basing who we want to have a relationship with based on our sexual connection in the first few encounters what do you mean? Are we like, is in like, like, is that, is that, do you really want to like base your long-term relationship on whether the no. first couple of times that you have sex with them, how exciting it was? No, no, I don't think so. So, so yeah, opening up and getting to know someone is going to be risky either way, whether yeah. you have sex with them or not. Right. Uh, there is a little bit of an element that like some people do lose interest after having sex. Right. Because, because sexual arousal is the primary driver for the attraction yeah right and I'm, i'll be gendered here i think men for the most part struggle with this more yeah um the sexual arousal is driving the attraction once they have sex they're no longer as attracted or interested in the partner that can happen sometimes mm. and so i guess the strategy of waiting will filter out some of those people a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, not all of them. Mm -hmm. Some people will just wait until the end of the world to have sex with you and then leave you. Yeah. And 
and and these are just risks that we have to take if we want to sit at the table of love right? yeah if we want to if we want to be in relationships with people so i don't think either strategy is going to really prevent you from getting hurt yeah i just think they're they're both equally valid you get to choose what makes sense for you some people really need to feel safer to have sex with someone and, and other people don't. And for a long time, I didn't. I was happy to, to have sex with someone that I, I found attractive, that hopefully found me attractive and we can connect sexually to see what kind of chemistry or synergy we were able to create together. And now that no longer appeals to me, mm. right? I want more than that. I want someone that I'm emotionally connected to, that I have similar values with, that I of course find attractive, but there's there needs to be more to it than than that. I need the intimate risk. I need the emotional risk mm -hmm. to be present, not just sort of the sexual, um, you yeah. know, quick fix. Yeah. Which is so funny because that emotional side of it, it, it sounds like you're saying is almost more vulnerable or it means more than the sex or like potentially just like a quick fix, which is funny just because with sex, you are, you can be uh, vulnerable if you're like you know fully naked there but it's funny that on the other side of it emotional connection can actually bring so much more intimacy i mean you're showing them who you are yeah like who you really are yeah. not what your envelope looks like right right or what you're like what, what is it like <laughs> great wall meat? of china no i don't know yeah, we're just throwing the, in analogies like, now <laughs> the the meat sack or someone called it like you know your 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 bag of bones or whatever you're showing them like you're showing them your heart right yeah. like you're showing them your stories your wounds your traumas your experiences of course not all of that up up front um what you want your hopes your your visions your you know like the things that make you sad like th these are in intensely vulnerable mm -hmm. things to share with people mm -hmm. and my hope is that you can find someone who's able to hold that mm -hmm. Right. And who's also able to reciprocate so that it's not just one sided. Mm -hmm. Right. Can you find someone who's also able to meet you in that space, hold you and also show you who they are? Mm -hmm. Do you think that today in the age of dating apps and swiping and everything that people are too quick to drop and judge others if they don't think that they have been held or seen in like the right way? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think we should probably lower our expectations about how people are able to show up for you in the early stages of dating. Yeah. Right. Because relationships are built slowly over time. Mm -hmm. And sure, we want people that are kind and respectful and compassionate. Right. We don't want people to neg you or to make fun of you or uh, to, to denigrate or uh, minimize or make light of or make jokes mm -hmm. about you. We don't want any of that stuff. We certainly don't want any abuse. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so let's take all of that off the table. If anybody shows any of that next. Yeah. But short of that, it takes, uh, it takes a while for people to show up for you, mm -hmm. to start to trust you, to start to get to know you, to see if they like you, mm -hmm. to see if you like them. And so I think we are quick to dismiss. Mm -hmm. I think we are quick to dismiss. I'm not sure if we're too quick to share mm -hmm. or if we're too quick to open up. I think some people struggle with that. Some people uh, open up, you know, they, I, call, I call these kinds of people, they, they puke on your shoes. You meet them, they puke on your shoes. They just regurgitate everything. They show you everything yeah. and that's inappropriate. That's inappropriate. Yeah. Um, there are limits to how, like how you open up. And then there's other people, it doesn't matter how safe of a, of a playground you, you show them or you give them, they're not going to open up because for whatever reason, they don't feel safe. And yeah. so it's going to be about finding a balance there. And, and I don't, there's no guidelines to this stuff, mm -hmm. right? Because um, when we meet, we're meeting in a relational space. So my stories and my experiences with your stories and your experiences, it's going to create a particular dynamic that is mm -hmm. impossible to predict, impossible to predict. Mm -hmm. And then you throw attachment theory in on that and you throw a whole bunch of psychological stuff on it. Then you throw hormones, then you throw what I want. And then you throw the fact that like, there's a pressure, there's pressure from my parents. There's a pandemic happening. Yeah. Like it just, the, the pressures are in nearly insurmountable. Mm -hmm. And so if you are struggling with this stuff, it's okay. Mm -hmm. Join the club. Mm -hmm. We're all, I, I, most of us are struggling with this stuff. Mm -hmm.
And do you believe, because what you just said is, uh, it's very realistic and logical and um, true, the fact that you meet, you kind of meet someone in this space where you're bringing essentially you and who you are and all the stories that have helped you get there. And they're also bringing that into that space and throw on top of everything else. It's hard to, it's hard to make those things mesh and to make it work and to fuse it into a relationship. And I think it's difficult to decide, okay, with all this shit that we're dealing with, we're going to commit to trying to create something together. Do you think you believe in this whole idea of soulmate, the one, blah, 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 or do you think it's more like right place, right time kind of thing? You, I think you know that I don't, that I don't believe in the one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There, there's the one that, you know, if you're currently in a relationship, the one is the one that you're in a relationship with right now. Right. That's the one. Oh, I think has my internet died. Uh, let's connect there. There we go. You're back. Okay, sweet. I'm I don't back. know what happened there. Awesome. Okay, so the one there's the one that you're you can edit this right. You can edit this out. Yeah, it's all good. I'll edit that bit out. The one. Yeah. Okay, so there's the one that you're in a relationship. If you're in a relationship, the one is the person that you're in a relationship with right now. And you get to decide whether you continue to be in that relationship or you choose to end it and look for somebody else. I don't believe that there's just one person where when you meet them, everything will magically be easy and okay. Because relationships and love and life is not easy. I mean, it's okay some of the times, but it's hard, right? And it requires work. And I do believe that some people are going to be easier to be with. Mm-hmm. Definitely easier, right? Less drama, less stress. They don't trigger you as much for whatever reason. They have the specific blend of qualities that really work well with your blend of qualities. Mm-hmm. So there are some relationships with that, that are going to be easier than others. I don't think there's one person. Um, I think that there's a lot of people that we can have successful relationships with. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And sometimes uh, I was like, uh, I think it's, a Yanla Van Dans uh, says that like someone's in your life for uh, for what is it a reason, a season, or a lifetime? A reason, a season, or a lifetime. Okay, fair. I like that. So sometimes you're going to be in a relationship <laughs> with someone, and they might feel like the one, but they're actually just there to teach you something. Yes. Right. Sometimes it's going to be a season, which might be a couple years or or even a, a couple decades. Yeah. And sometimes it's going to be a lifetime person. Mm-hmm. And we don't really get to know who it's going to be. Are they with us for a reason, a season, or a lifetime? Until we get to that endpoint, mm. and that endpoint might be a reason, a season, or or you die. Mm, yeah. Right. So so like you can't meet someone and be like, well, I think this is going to be a seasoned person, or yeah. or no. So what 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 more often happens is that people say, okay you're a lifetime person. My next relationship is going to be a lifetime person. And then it ends and you're devastated. You're devastated because you had really high expectations that this person was going to be here forever. And I mean, let's be honest, when you have kids with someone, there's a, there's an unspoken, sometimes spoken agreement that we're going to, we're going to make this thing work. And sometimes no amount of work is going to, is going to make it work. Yeah. Right. Sometimes the best thing to do for you and for the kids and for the other person is to transition your relationship to a co-parenting relationship, mm-hmm. as, no matter how hard that is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, no one. There are many ones. Mm. I think we we have many soulmates. I kind of like this idea of these soul contracts, right? <laughs> uh, contracts that are that are open, that are sort of floating around in the universe. Okay. And sometimes you meet someone and it feels like a soulmate and it feels like an important relationship and it feels like it might be the one and it might actually just be someone that you have to live a portion of your life or you have to have an experience with mm-hmm. sort of like a reason or a season because there's a, there's a contract there. There's some sort of like mystical, this is my, the most woo woo stuff that I will ever talk about. There's some sort of mystical contract out there that has to be closed. Right. 
that's there's an open loop that needs to be closed. And really what it might actually just be if we're talking psychologically, it might just be that you have something to learn psychologically. Mm-hmm. You have something to work out with someone about mm-hmm. your past. Mm-hmm. And once you work that thing out, you will have healed a part of you mm-hmm. that will make the, your next passage, your next relationship that much more easy, more aligned, a better fit for you. And do you think you can have those contracts those contracts do they have to be closed like do you think you could meet someone have a connection or be like I want to learn something for you or I need something in your life do you think it could be um I don't want to be as literal as an open relationship because I don't think that's what we're kind of talking about but like do you think that they could still be part of your life and you can have a sexual relationship with them and still learn something from them but not have to fully commit to that person in that time I mean, there are so many different formats that you can have relationships with. I think the issue becomes when people want different things, mm-hmm. right? So if you have one person that wants a committed engagement, engaged relationship, and you have someone that, that uh, really wants to be there sexually, really wants to be there for them, but isn't able to commit, you're going to have sort of a, a conflict in your needs. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be really hard, I think, for that relationship to progress. Mm-hmm. Um, another way that I want to look at that question is, you know, can you ever get back together with someone that you broke up with, right? So can can you have had a closed contract, right? You meet someone, there's an open contract, you close it, but then can you reopen it at some point, mm. right? Sort of like, you know, right person, wrong time. Yes. And I, we don't hear about it a lot. We don't hear about a lot of successful people getting back together. We just don't. No. And I think it's possible. I think, I think you might get into some, where you might get into some trouble is if a relationship ends and you keep the hope alive to a degree that you're unable to continue meeting new people or going on with the rest of your life mm-hmm. and that your only option is to be with that other person that you are no longer with. I think that's where you get into trouble. Mm-hmm. I would much rather look at it as we had a beautiful relationship. We learned a lot of things. For whatever reason, our paths are going to diverge, mm-hmm. right? And our paths might at some point come back together mm-hmm. and they might not. So I want to be open to the idea that the universe is going to do what it's going to do and we might see each other again. And we might meet up again and we might be a great fit or we might see each other again and be like, wow, that was intense. I don't want to relive that. And both people are like, yeah, that, that was intense and let's be friends or let's not, or you might find yourself uh, reconnecting Mm. or you might just never see the person again. Yeah. Right. So I would, I'd rather have, have, have people have options and be open to those potential rather than to just like lock onto one and say, that's how my story is going to end. Right. And do you think people can, is there a way that people can kind of damage control, I guess, if they, when they do break up with people that, you know, how you were saying that if they feel like they can't move on or, or, um, they put so much hope on one person. They think, oh, this is going to be a lifetime person, or this is going to be X person. They don't fulfill that criteria. What do you think people can do to try and like basically damage control if the seasoned person is actually a reasoned person? And do you know what I mean? Yeah, or if the seasoned person is not a lifetime person. Exactly. I think, you know, it's, it's breakups are hard. Breakups are hard. I think one thing that you can do is to agree to not, to, to sort of like not be in contact for a bit. Mm-hmm. I was talking to my therapist about this recently. I was, I was like, because I give this advice, this advice often, I wanted to like sort of check it. I have a therapist and I check some of my advice with her. Yeah. And we were talking about this, this idea of no contact, right? And a caveat, if you have kids together, no contact, zero contact is, impossible, but you can have low contact where, where you agree to only talk about what you need to talk about, uh, to take care of the child. Mm. But what, what no contact or low contact allows you to do is it sort of reduces your dependence on that person, right? So if you were in a relationship and that person was your everything, Mm. then you were sort of going to them 
to, to meet some of your needs for validation, for comfort, for sex, for words of affirmation, for feeling safe. That person is no longer really available, but they can be if you continue to contact them, mm. right? So no contact or low contact sort of forces you to build a support network and to go and like, go find ways that are not that person to meet those needs, right? That's one of them. The other one is um, if you're on social media and you follow them, especially on Facebook, seeing their little face in your messenger with the green icon is torture. Yeah. It's torture mm -hmm. because what it's saying is they're available, mm -hmm. right? Facebook is actually saying they're available, mm -hmm. but really after a breakup, they're not available because mm -hmm. if they were available for the most part, you'd still be together. Mm. Right. So you have this false reminder and, and a constant reminder that they are right there and they are a click away. Mm -hmm. Right. So unfollowing on social media and saying, you know, during the breakup or, or, or after it, Hey, I'm just going to unfollow you from social media. It's just what I need. Cause I, I can't, I don't want to be constantly reminded that, that you're there. I'm already going to be constantly reminded. My brain will do all of that. I don't need Facebook to do it also. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's another benefit of the no contact, low contact. And then the third one is that you get to get to make a decision that is for your healing. Mm -hmm. And in some way can take some of your power back. Mm -hmm. Especially if, were, if you were the one that was broken up with, mm -hmm. you get some of your power back by saying, I'm no longer available to you. Mm -hmm. I don't want to reach out to you, but I also don't want you to reach out to me. Mm. I'm, I'm doing what I need to do to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And that means, you know, a period of load and no contact. Mm -hmm. And so do you think, because we were talking about earlier, you know, vulnerability and loving someone and letting someone see you. And I guess if you have a relationship with someone, those things kind of come hand in hand. And I really liked what you mentioned earlier of um, having a seat at the table of love. Like that's just a lovely image to think about. Do you think that there's, any way, this might be a stupid question, but no question is stupid. Do you think there's any way you can take a seat at the table of love and not get wrecked in some form? No. <laughs> I mean, I think it's, I think there's, there's levels of wrecked, you know? Um, I think you can expect to sit at the table of love and uh, you're going to get hurt. Mm -hmm. At some point, you're going to get hurt, not because they leave, but because they're humans. Mm -hmm. Right? And they're going to do something that's going to trigger you or that's going to upset you or that's going to hurt you. And they might mean it, they might not mean it, but you're going to get hurt. I don't think you necessarily, you don't have to expect that you're going to get wrecked. But you know what? Actually, yes, because if you have a lifetime love, one of you is going to die. Yeah. And you will for sure, if you're not the one who dies, you will be wrecked. Yeah. You will be wrecked. So yes, sitting at the table of love asks of you to be prepared for some pain, a lot of discomfort, a lot of relationship and interpersonal discomfort. Mm -hmm. I don't think that you can have a relationship that is perfectly comfortable. I don't think that you can make love safe. Susan Piver says, when you, when you make love safe, it ceases to be love. Mm -hmm. When you try to control love, it's not love anymore, especially, mm -hmm. and especially if you try to control somebody else, that's not a loving action. Mm -hmm. And do you think that's partly because, by the way, I know it's been an hour, so I will wrap this up, I promise, but I'm loving talking to you. Um, yeah, likewise. Do you think that that's kind of why? My mom has this theory that, well, maybe it's not my mom, but anyway, she tells me this thing that with your first love, it can be so painful because you, you kind of don't know your boundaries and you just let yourself like fully into this person and, you know, then you just basically give your heart on like a plate and just give it to them because you, you haven't been really hurt before your first love like that. Do you think that um, your first love will always be kind of the hardest one to get over if you, if you are fortunate enough to ever fall in love and then fall in love again, the hardest one to get over because you have like, does that make sense? Because you haven't necessarily been hurt before and you're not so aware of your boundaries and everything. I mean, just from personal experience, like my first love when it ended was painful, but nowhere near as painful as some of the subsequent breakups. Oh, okay. Because I think that when you're young, yeah, you don't have, <laughs> I don't think that you can go as deep as you can later in life. Okay. Right. Later in life, you learn, you, you get to know yourself more. Mm -hmm. You get to like touch your wounds and you also get to 
you open up in a way where I think you can get hurt more. I don't really know. I have, I have to like start now. I have to like start thinking about this. Yeah. I just, I know that I hurt when I was, you know, 16 or 18 or whatever, whenever my Celeste Poirier broke my heart, <laughs> but some of the subsequent breakups were much more painful because I, I gave more of myself okay. because there was, okay. Because there was more of me to give, right. right. When you're young, you're not fully developed. Right. Your, your likes, your, your stories, your experiences, you know, you don't have as much, you don't have as much skin in the game. Yeah. You don't have nearly as much on the line. I think that the older we get, the more, the, the more we have, the, the more that's at stake yeah. and the more that these relationships can like, they affect more than just like my schoolwork. Right. They, they affect like my livelihood. They might affect my children. If I have children, the mm -hmm. affect like all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that like, we kind of do get battered by life. So I think that our capacity for pain also increases the older we get. Yeah. Yeah. We can take like, it. More. Okay. We can, yeah, we, well, we, yeah, we can, we can both take it more and there's, there's more that can hurt us. Yeah. Right. So yeah, I think that's, yeah. Hey, we, we, we got there. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. You're more as well when you're older you're, and you're more yourself. And if someone rejects that or for some reason it doesn't work out in some kind of way, I think that can leave you questioning a bit who you are. And, you know, at, at times when I, I always believe that you should fully accept who you are and um, try and be your authentic self, love is painful and vulnerable. And when you do put yourself out there and if it doesn't work out for some reason, I think it would be um, naive to say that it's somewhere in your brain, you wouldn't be questioning, am I, is this, am I a good person? Is this all good? Like, is everything fine? Um, so it can be harder. I think it can be harder, but also, you know, let's be clear, as you grow older, some people, most people will develop more self-confidence, more self-esteem, more self-love, and they, they will be able to ride out mm. some of these downs a little bit easier. They'll have uh, sort of a better or, or like a, a a brighter perspective, more hope, more faith, especially if you develop your spiritual mm -hmm. practice, right? More faith that, that everything is the way it's supposed to be. If, if you sort of believe in, in sort of a more like a Buddhist a perspective and that you will always be taken care of, mm -hmm. right? No matter how, how much pain you're in, ultimately God, the universe, whatever, will not fully drop you on your ass, mm -hmm. right? Unless you die and then, then you've been fully dropped on your ass, but you're dead. So it doesn't really matter anymore. Yeah. Um, so it, it really is going to be situation dependent, person dependent, and, and then how much you opened up, right? Yeah. And I want, you know, I want, I want your listeners for, and I, and this is just a reminder for me as well to, 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 to go all in, right? To go all to go all in for love okay. and with love, as long as you're going all in with someone that that can that can show up for you. Yeah. Right. Don't don't go all in on the first date. Don't go all in for on people with people that that haven't shown you that they they're trustworthy. Yeah. But for the most part, if you want big big love, it's going to require going all in. It's also going to require, like you said, accepting yourself learning to love yourself, dealing with your wounds and your triggers and your traumas, uh, maybe working with a, you know, mental health professional, mm -hmm. uh, developing your spiritual life, developing your professional life, your familial, your, your platonic, your community, investing in uh, your future mm. and uh, giving back to people. Like, you know, there's a lot that we can do to build a big, beautiful life. Yeah. And these are all required along with going all in for big, big love. Yeah. And it's funny because I think developing all those other aspects of your life that you mentioned that's so important actually end up making you a more attractive, I mean, regardless of a more happy person anyway, a more attractive person anyway, because you've genuinely got other stuff going on in your life. And so even though you can offer hopefully big love and like really invest in, in someone, you aren't, um, you don't put them on a pedestal, so to speak. Yeah. And also when you get wrecked, it doesn't wreck everything else. Yes. Because yes. if, if a relationship, if like your special relationship, your, your, you know, the one, your, your lifetime, you get wrecked by it and it's the only thing you got going on, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Yeah. Right. Whether, uh, 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 wait, what's the word? 
Whereas, whereas (laughs) if you've developed your life in such a way that you have, you know, you have a full life anyways, without the relationship, you're going to be able to weather that storm a lot better. Yeah, that's a really good point saying a world of hurt, because literally if that person is your world and then you break up, what else is going on? Oh, you're fucked. You're fucked. You're so so fucked, fucked, dude. (laughs) Yeah. Start building, just start investing in other parts. Yeah, get some friends. Start investing in other parts of your life because you're you're gonna be in a world of hurt. Yeah. And so uh, my last question, but I get you kind of already answered it in that last point, was um I wanted to ask you if there was one thing, or maybe not one thing, but if there was something that somebody they want to cultivate love, a relationship. What is kind of the number one thing that you would say focus on? Oh, I, I don't know. Just communicate, learn to communicate what you want. Okay. Yeah. Like learn, learn to ask people like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. And then learn to tell them what they want or what you want and then see if there's a match there. I okay. think communicating more directly and openly and honestly is probably one of the best things that we can do. Mm-hmm to find people that are on the same page, to share with people what's going on and to also get to know people and see if they're a good fit for us. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, Sean, thank you so much. I've massively enjoyed you being on my podcast. It was a, an honor and a huge pleasure. This was so, so fun. It was so fun. And if people want to find your Instagram and your podcast and everything, what is the Instagram handle? The Love Drive on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook, the podcast, Google it, thelovedrive.com. Just that's that's it. Okay, perfect. I'm going to end the 